My name is Maxine McIntosh and I'm the Programme Lead for Diverse Data at Genomics England and you're listening to The G Word. Through the conversations we have on this podcast, we hope to bring the benefits of genomic medicine to everyone. Now, genomics is a word that can trigger really strong responses, hope, fear, anger, and there is a lot of information out there and it's certainly not always accessible to non-experts. So we want to talk about this word, the G Word, genomics. In this episode, we'll be talking about all things equity and hearing from one of the world's most exciting precision medicine efforts, all of us. It's a huge delight to have Martin Mendoza, Director of Health Equity, join us from the All of Us Research Program. Welcome to the G Word, Martin. Thanks so much, Maxine. It's an absolute pleasure to be with you today. And, and you know, just thank you so much for the invitation. So excited to have this conversation with you. Not at all, not at all. So um, Martin and I did have a bit of a kind of pre-chat maybe a couple of months ago. Um, and so at this time, we can capture all the goodness uh, for you all to benefit from it. But before we launch into it, so Martin, you've had a pretty uh, uh, incredible and unusual history. So you've gone for everything from the Office of Minority Health to the FDA. So um, can you just give us a bit of a kind of wild tour of your background and what's led you to this point today, please? Yeah, I'm glad to, Maxine. And, and, and thanks for that question. So, you know, um, when, when I think about my career, I think about one of the most um, pivotal experiences I had was actually as a, as a high school student when I had the opportunity um, my senior year of high school to spend half a day for nine months in, in the laboratory of Dr. Eric Green, who as many of you folks may know is the director of National Human Genome Research Institute at NIH. And at the time, uh, Dr. Green's lab was working on the Human Genome Project. Um, and so, you know, I was presented with this opportunity to map part of human chromosome seven um, as part of the genome project. And that, you know, really got the juices flowing, you know, for this love of science and, and particularly genomics. And so, you know, after, you know, having been in Eric's lab as a high school student and working through my um, graduate degree, you know, I had the opportunity to work at NIH as part of their extramural program at the National Institute of Neurological Disorders and Stroke, where I was uh, a very large part of monitoring their um, clinical inclusion of women and minorities in in their uh, extramural clinical trials. And so one of the things that really struck me um, when I was looking at the data was just the lack of these populations within within their funded studies. And so um, I didn't realize at the time, but very quickly learned that this wasn't just a problem at at my particular institutes, but it was a really a, a, a global problem, you know, of not having the populations that need to be there in clinical trials, you know, to represent those who actually use the, the finalized, uh, the approved medical product. And, and so, um, you know, that really struck me. And so that's after that position, I went on to work at the FDA for just about five and a half, six years. And there, I, I got to fo- focus exclusively on the um, on the issue of clinical trial diversity. There, and so at FDA, I had the chance to author FDA's first ever guidance document on clinical trial diversity and and why inclusion needed to be um, at the forefront of you know when when sponsors are designing their their clinical trials and 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 submitting them to and eventually submitting them to FDA. One of the coolest experiences I also had at FDA was I had the opportunity to testify in front of Congress um, on the need for diverse representation in clinical trials. And, and so that was quite an experience to, you know, to be face-to-face with lawmakers talking about 
the need for, for these diverse populations. After I, I um, worked at FDA, I went on to the HHS Office of Minority Health and the Office of the Secretary. And there I served as Director of Division of Policy and Data where you know I was charged with developing um, programs and policies to reduce health equity. And this was really a, a public health focused office as opposed to a research organization like the NIH. And so this, this really gave me a, a, a chance to further hone my, my public health expertise and, and really you know sort of look at the um, you know what, what comes of research that you know places like NIH uh, does and how those get implemented in communities. And then after uh, spending a few years at the HHS Office of Minority Health, I then transitioned to my position here at All of Us as Director of Health Equity. And, and you know, and so I've been here for about a year now, and it's just really been a fabulous opportunity to, to really learn about the program and, and, and try to bring the expertise that I've gained um, throughout my career um, to really this, um, this tremendous research program. That's awesome. And I, and the, I must admit that probably yeah, testifying on clinical trial diversity must have been quite an experience. So, uh, yeah, we'll save that one for when we meet face to face in a pub one yes. day, maybe. <laughs> so, um, you know, this is this is my bread and butter in terms of uh, we're very in tune at John McFingham and certainly within the diversity program about precision medicine efforts happening across the world and certainly ones that have diversity and equity um, you know, at the core of how they operate, like all of us do. But just for listeners who might not be as obsessed with precision medicine as us, um, can you just give a quick summary of uh, what all of us is, what it's trying to achieve, where it's at? Um, yeah. You know, Max, I, I, I just don't know how anybody could not be as obsessed with precision medicine as, <laughs> I as know. we are. I, mean, I, don't, I don't know if these people actually exist. Um, but yes, I'm happy to talk about all of us exactly, exactly what it is. So all of us, it's really this, this national effort to enroll 1 million or more people from, from all walks of life. What the program is really aiming to do is really to build one of the largest, most diverse databases of health information that researchers can use to study um, uh, health um, and disease um, illness. And so researchers, they can analyze the data to understand how different genetic, lifestyle, and environmental factors, how, they, how that impacts health and disease. And, and you know, this information can then help to improve the ways to diagnose, prevent, and, you know, and treat health conditions and lead to improved health for hopefully generations to come. There is, um, you know, a, a couple of things that I do want to make clear about the program, though, and, and that is that um, this is a research program. It, it's not a clinical study. And so our program is designed to gather data from participants that will obviously be identified for research purposes. And, and so, you know, while the typical clinical study that you may think about usually focuses on a specific health condition, um, sometimes testing new treatments or medications to see if they're effective and safe. Um, what all of us, we, we collect samples and, and data to make available for researchers to advance, you know, overall health research. And so really to, to join the program, you know, you have to be um, 18 years or older. You have to live in the United States and, and not be incarcerated. But other than that, you know, it's, it's really open to, to everybody. I also want to point out that really a key distinction between all of us and other research programs is the diversity um, of the data available to researchers. So, you know, all of us were committed to engaging and enrolling communities um, that have historically been left out of research. Um, and so we call this UBR, Unrepresented Biomedical Research. And so since launching the program um, in, in 2018, the program has really significant diversity. So about 50% of the participants who have joined the program self-identify as racially and ethnically diverse. 
and more than 75% fall into this, this UBR category that we talked about earlier. So that includes sexual and gender minorities, socioeconomic status, disability, folks that self-identify with a disability, rural regions of the, of the country, as well as uh, education level. And, and so really, we've been able to achieve um, this really unprecedented level of diversity within our program by prioritizing these communities from the very start of the program. No, that's, it's amazing. And I think that one of the things that I find particularly interesting about all of us's approach to diversity is that you're considering the proxies or correlates for ancestry, but also you're looking at these broader social factors that mean that to date people have been excluded from you know, many trials and studies. So Martin, the, uh, the pandemic, as we all know, and it's a statement that people who work in health actually hear a lot, the pandemic has really highlighted the kind of chasms of inequity in society and has um, made them bigger and deeper and wider. And I think we are probably all quite tired of hearing that and also we've really seen it and recognised it. Were there particular areas that uh, of the pandemic that really did impact how all of us was either making decisions or operating or, or did it kind of just change the way that all of us were thinking about its work? Yeah, so um, COVID had a, a huge impact on, on all of us. But before I really talk about exactly how we changed to adapt to COVID, I, I, I do want to highlight that um, even before the pandemic, we knew that inequalities, especially in our healthcare system, that they existed in our country. And so what, what COVID really did was, was it highlighted the need to solve this problem um, of health disparities. Health disparities was really one of the, the main drivers why the Alvis Research Program was, was created in 2018, you know, with the goal to, ta- to accelerate research to tackle health disparities. So with regards to how COVID impacted us, we shifted our work, you know, to stay safe, but also stay connected to our community of participants. You know, so when the what the pandemic did early on was to shed light on the fact that many disenfranchised and underrepresented communities, they were the ones that bearing the, the brunt of, of the pandemic. You know, they were our friends, participants, you know, people who worked the community to register potential participants for the program. That's why really one of the first things we did was to check in with the community we've built. Um, for, for example, we sent out a survey to our participants to see how they were being impacted by the pandemic. Um, we called the survey COPE, or the COVID-19 Participant Experience Survey. And what it did is collected responses from more than 63,000 participants covering topics that include stress, mood, um, discrimination, social distancing, and economic and work changes, um, among others. What all this uh, information does is it amounts to the biggest infusion of mental health data in the program so far. Also, like many organizations, you know, we had to adjust our day-to-day operations to a virtual setting with the understanding that the digital divide, you know, that, that impacts a lot of people in this country. And, you know, so prior to the pandemic, we had established this network of community partners, healthcare provider organizations across the country. And, and you know, we, we pivoted from trying to enroll people in person to checking in, you know, calling our participants to see if they needed resources and information. And, you know, our community partners, they actually took the lead in providing information on local food banks. Um, and then when vaccines became available, you know, we provide information um, and in some situations, transportation. And then many of our partners, they also offer test kits. Also earlier this year, we launched something called the um, the All of Us Journey, um, which is really a, a, a mobile trailer, a mobile exhibit that travels to communities across the country, um, especially to rural countries that don't have access to our enrollment centers. And so this really allows us to, to meet people where they are. Bring this back to the pandemic, you know, 
um, certainly has brought renewed urgency, you know, the, the need to resolve the underlying causes of health disparities that exist in cancer and heart disease, stroke, diabetes, and really so many other diseases. Um, and, and it's just really highlighted, this is all ongoing. And so I, I just want to highlight one more thing, and, and that's in in the U.S., you know, we in, in May, we recently surpassed the one million mark that people have um, died from as a result of COVID-19. That's to me, that's really staggering, one million. And, you know, it's it's communities of color, people with pre-existing conditions that have been uh, really disproportionately affected. What the pandemic does is it's taught us what's at stake here. And, and I hope it's created a, this urgency for the medical research um, that, that, that will help all of us. And so here at, at all of us, you know, we're, we're trying to be part of that solution through research. And, you know, we firmly believe that innovation, it can, it can only benefit everyone when research includes everyone or all of us, really. The fact that you've ended on that sort of slightly tagline, you think maybe you want to make a kind of way noise, which was inappropriate given the, given uh, the nature of what you're talking about. But um, yeah, I mean, the, the, the one minute is absolutely staggering and that's only the directly attributable figure. Um, now we'll, over the next five, 10 years, we'll really see the, the long-term impacts across lots of other conditions. So yeah, it, it only raises the, the prominence of what all of us is doing even more and having such an engaged community. I mean, the 75% stat on, on UBR is mind-blowingly impressive and you know kudos to, to you and the team for achieving that that's an, an incredibly impressive number I kind of had two questions so one is and it was on the back of what you've just said around uh, I guess you've got quite quite a nice tight sounding family with your participants you know with the fact that you're able to send out surveys you're getting additional information you're working close with your partners so one of my questions was um, what kind of stats and figures you have or um, how do you approach those who are digit digitally excluded? Um, you kind of already mentioned those who are in remote parts of, of, of the country. Um, but how do you create this kind of dynamic cohort uh, of people um, if they are digitally excluded is my first question. Um, and then kind of my second question is, um, yeah, just, just delving into how on earth you have done such an amazing job in, in achieving such a relatively high diversity uh, within all of us. And, and what, what, tell us a bit more about how you've been engaging with communities and your approaches to that. Yeah, one of the things that we've been really intentional about um, from the inception of the program is, is, is the need to have um, health equity and engagement of, of special populations, you know, be foundational to the program. And so what this means is we've been working, engaging with these populations and made them the highest of priorities, you know, really treating them as, as true partners in the journey and engaging them as trusted voices in, um, in their communities, you know, really working with them hand in hand. As far as keeping our participants, you know, really engaged in the program, we know that many of our participants, you know, they they joined for, you know, altruistic reasons. And so we try to make clear that their continued participation helps to further research. So, for example, and I know most of your readers probably know this, but because of the participation of, of our participants, you know, we may be able to discover, develop better tests to see if people are sick or at risk of getting sick. Um, better mobile apps and other technologies to encourage um, healthy habits, how different uh, life circumstances or lifestyles, how they affect health. But we also know, you know, folks have other reasons for, for wanting to join the program and, and stay engaged. And, and so participants, they can receive information about themselves in return if they elect to join the program. And, you know, this may take a little bit of time, but, you know, folks can learn about their, not only their genetic ancestry, but also uh, starting um, in a few months, 
Um, they also know know about the genetic risk factors for certain diseases. And so knowing your risk factor, your, your risk, they may help you and your healthcare providers um, better prevent, prepare, or, for, or, or treat those conditions. And, and so really providing a multitude of, of return of value, as we like to say, to our participants, options for them is, is one of the ways that we have achieved diversity. The other way that I talked about earlier is really through engaging with the community very intentionally and going through these um, these trusted voices in the community and, and letting them be you know like our guides to the populations that, that we want to reach, you know, letting them show us the way and really working with them hand in hand to reach populations. And and so really when we when we think about it, engaging with the community has to be foundational for, for any program that, that is hoping to achieve um, any levels of significant diversity. Okay, so as far as your second question, as far as um, reaching folks that may not have access to technology, you know, we, we have a number of programs in place realizing that we won't be able to reach everyone everywhere, but we would like to be able to reach anyone anywhere. And and so here's a couple of things that, that we do. One, we have, as I talked about earlier, we have what we call the journey, which is our uh, internally known as our mobile engagement asset. And what that really does is, is it travels to communities to let people experience the, um, the All of Us um, research program. So there they can join if they choose, so they can go through the consent process uh, with someone standing right next to them. Um, they can donate uh, a biosample there if they wish, so blood, urine, or saliva. They can have their physical measurements taken there. And they can also complete several of the surveys if they uh, choose to. This is a, a way for us to um, to really reach people where they are. Some of the other ways that, you know, that we employ are we, we have um, uh, a program for home visits. So where someone can come to a participant's house and help them um, with donations of their, their biosamples. Um, and then we, we also can have something that we call um, CADI, where a, uh, a live human can, um, can assist the participant um, in, in completing surveys. So, you know, there are a number of solutions that we have uh, to put in place and several others that we are considering, you know, to help for folks that, that may be left out of, of the digital divide. That's really interesting. And I really like that that statement on them. We can't reach everyone everywhere, but we'd like to reach anyone anywhere because I think that's one of the things that I guess you know, preys on our mind a little bit in diverse data is that what in your case one million is nevertheless a sample like it's not it's not the entirety of the u.s population and so and whenever you sample any such like kind of small number of people some people are going to miss out and so, so i guess that maybe brings you on to a, a kind of slightly tricky question which is obviously as director of actually you're really there to, to to promote equity to promote best practice to make sure that all of us is is as fair or equitable as it possibly can be but some people will still be not engaging in the program, some people will still um, fall through the cracks, et cetera. So can I just get a bit of insight about how you think about 
um, things like unintended consequences or how you work through different uh, scenarios about participants that you know you may miss out on and, and what the ramifications are of that because um, too much of that thinking obviously paralyzes you <laughs> into not doing anything um, but it's also important to recognize the outskirts of where some of these initiatives might not reach the people that we'd like to. A bit of an insight into that would, would probably make me feel better and also be quite interesting to hear. <laughs> yeah so we're keenly aware that we're not going to be able to enroll everyone but that doesn't mean that you know that we can't have some very um, concerted efforts to to enroll a, um, a a diverse population, and and so really, the way that we think about unintended consequences of you know potentially positive and well-meaning efforts is is, is really a a groupthink process, and and so you know as as director of health equity, that's really you know one of my my remits is is to really think about is what we are doing equitable and if it isn't you know then really to work with the team to come up with a solution to really um, ad advance health equity throughout the program and and so for example one one of the things that you know we've done in the past year is we've implemented a um, a definition for disability and and so prior to my onboarding you know, while we were collecting disability information, we weren't uh, re reporting it out. And, and so folks in the disability community, while they were present in the program, their data may not have been at, you know, as highlighted as it needed to be. And, and so what we did was we went through a very thorough process of working with various advocacy groups and, and others that represent the disability community to craft a definition for the program and, and what that allowed us to do is to then, um, if you look at our website now, you will see that now when we report out all the different categories of um, underrepresented environmental research, UBR, we now have a line specifically for, for disability, which is somewhere around nine or 10% um, of our population. You know, that, that's one of the ways that we have been thinking about how to make our, our program more equitable, you know, from from the start of the program or early on in the program, you know, we also launched um, in Spanish. You know, Spanish is um, other than English is is you know is, is one of the most uh, uh, spoken languages in, in the United States, and so making sure that our our materials, um, our surveys, um, etc., that those were all available, our communications that that, that those were in, available in Spanish as well so that we could be sure to, to reach those participants and you know communicate them in a language communicate to them in a language that they feel comfortable that's one thing you said that's really interesting that you said many interesting things but one of the things i'm going to pull out is um getting your team to work on and kind of spot these potential opportunities um to improve equity so i'm sure that your team is incredibly diverse um but how do you ensure that within your team you kind of your, keep your ear very close to the ground about kind of signals or opportunities to improve the equity in the work that you're doing? How do you kind of keep your team, I guess, not feeling, you know, institutionalized from, from, a, from a major research program in which they exist? Yeah, no, that, that that's that's a that's a really good point, Maxine. One one of sort of the the pillars of our program are something called our participant ambassadors. And so our participant ambassadors are participants in, in the All of Us Research Program, and they have graciously agreed to become 
uh, World Participant Ambassadors. And so what, what, what they are are folks that we rely on, you know, to give us, you know, sort of that ear to the ground perspective. For they participate in meetings with us. They're part of governance, a part of advisory committees, you know, part of various scientific committees. And, and so we really rely on them for them to provide us, you know, that, that participant perspective and, and to help us with, with issues of, of equity and really to, to let us know from that participant perspective, what is going on? What are, the, what are they hearing? What are some potential things in the program that they are seeing as may not be equitable or they may feel, you know, need our attention, um, especially as a, as a senior staff? And, and so really, you know, making sure that, that they are integrated within the program, that they have a voice, you know, is something that we've been very intentional about and, and have really prioritized from the beginning of the program. I like that approach. Um, and yeah, tr- tr- tricky because the more, the more, I guess, you guys will scale, the, the more in- inherent kind of uh, bureaucracy and institutional pressure mounts around. It's probably, you know, keeping strategies to keep fresh and, and, and uh, open-eared is always important. So I, I kind of want to focus a bit more now on on you personally, and um, I guess the fact that oh, you've no. got quite. <laughs> <laughs> so what's your favorite TV show? No, um, uh, what's your favorite food? Um, one of the so uh, you've got quite an unusual job title, um, and one thing that I've noticed is this is a, you know this role that I'm in at Genomics England was pretty rare I hadn't really seen anything like it in the UK um, and certainly when I'm doing my, my LinkedIn stalking there's, there's a few more equity related uh, sort of senior leadership positions in the US but but I would say it's, it's it feels like a kind of fairly new title to adopt in, in major initiatives so do you know the history to this to this role was it was it always on the cards for all of us um, and then I guess how important do you think it is to have a kind of dedicated person in that kind of Martin shaped way owning the equity agenda yeah, so this is really a, you know, something that I've been thinking a lot about recently. And I think when I think about it, if this role has always been on the cards, I think the work has always been on the cards. But I think as you know, as the program has evolved and our and our awareness in society of, of equity issues has evolved, the program, you know, was really smart in, in realizing that, okay, you know we're all kind of doing the equity work, but it would be really great if we had someone to, you know, to coordinate it, to lead it all. And, and so I think in, in the thought process of our, of our CEO, uh, Dr. Josh Denny and, and others, you know, they, they realized, you know, what a benefit to this, uh, to the program it would be to have someone to lead um, the health equity efforts within the program. Now, what I want to make clear is that doesn't mean that you know, that it's just Martin and or his team that are leading health equity and that everyone can just forget about it. Like that, that's not how we, how we operate at, at all of us, you know, health equity is something that is foundational to every aspect of the, of the program from, from our technology, to our communications, to our user experience, um, to, uh, to our, to our researchers. And, and, and so, you know, while I may be leading the efforts, what our leadership has made clear is that everyone has to play a very significant and sizable role um, in this process if we are to achieve health equity within the program. That's why I think that not just for all of us and not just for Genomics England, but for really all major sort of organizations 
and even those that may not be major, you know, having someone to be the point person for health equity, I think is is absolutely critical. And not just having someone to be that point person, but empowering that person to work at the highest levels and to have a, a, a seat at the table where their input will be valued and acted upon, I think is absolutely critical if we are going to move this movement forward of, of equity that we've seen over the past two years or, or so um, since the murder of the unfortunate murder of, of George Floyd. And so, you know, really being intentional about our efforts um, to promote health equity, I think is something that all of us has really um, made a priority for the program. So pulling on that thread a little bit more, so you're just one man and your team, I presume, is not thousands of people big. Um, so you have to kind of, what? Uh, so you have to focus your efforts a, a wee bit. And I guess the problem with equity is it touches so many elements of, of an organization. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, it's got quality, it's got safety, it's got study design, it's got statistics. I mean, equity pervades everything. So for you, like, what, what's a personal decision you've made on, I guess, where you, you draw the boundaries of, of what you can realistically achieve in your equity agenda? Yeah, so I, I have a small a small team right now, and so having to prioritize is is really um, it's not an easy job, and and so the way that I've really try to prioritize our our health equity agenda is is thinking about what is going to have the most impact for our program, and um, specifically what are the priorities for our program. And so two things really come to mind for me. One is our participants and two is our researchers. It goes without saying why, why those two um, pillars, you know, you know, they're, why they're important and, and why they need to be at the core of, of, of everything we do. And, and so when I look at my, um, my health equity agenda and, and what gets prioritized, I double, triple check to make sure that this will either have a positive impact with our participants or our researchers. If it doesn't directly tie to one of those two, then it, it, it may, you know, not be at, at, at the top of the pile, you know, but that's why things like some of the things that I've worked on, like the disability definition, why that touches both our participants and our researchers, why that, you know, sort of floated to, to the top of the pile. You must have you must spend a lot of your time having very tricky conversations, um, both in terms of the fact that you this must your, your work must surface lots of you know horrible, horrifying, traumatic, unpleasant experiences, and also talking about big issues of racism, uh, you know, exclusion, abuse, eugenics, you name it, is 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 technically all within your purview. So how do you like what strategies or tactics are used to effectively, positively and constructively influence in this space? Great question. So one of the things that we recently started just this past summer is, is, a, is, is a racial um, equity consciousness workshop. This is not just like a, a one hour, one time thing. You know, this is a series of, I believe it's um, seven or so uh, meetings of about uh, one, one and a half hours in length each. And, and so um, we have a facilitator that um, will lead us in discussions of, um, you know, uh, what, uh, what, what is racial equity, um, thinking about uh, racial consciousness, bias, you know, how can we be 
more equitable as individuals, as a program, and, you know, and we've, we offered it for the first time this summer. And, you know, and so it, it was, it was really based on the survey responses we got, it was a, really a, a tremendous success. So um, kudos to the, to the leadership of the program for realizing the need for this and really prioritizing it and putting the funds to, to, to support this forward. And, and so based on the feedback and that experience, you know, we plan to offer it, I believe, uh, uh, two more times um, during this upcoming year. You know, doing activities like that um, is, is one way that, you know, we've really tried to um, raise awareness around these, these very, you know, tricky topics in the program. And, and so, you know, we're actively thinking about other ways to tackle these tough subjects. Um, but so far, this this has been our primary, well, one of our primary efforts um, for, for, for talking about um, rate, uh, racial equity in particular. Well, I look forward to kind of seeing uh, what the format of that is uh, and or how that works and whether that might be uh, relevant or useful at Genomics England. So, so before uh, we sort of wrap up, um, you know, a bit like if you go on, I was about to say Graham Norton, but I guess what's equivalent, Jimmy Fallon, um, you like usually people have a, a half an hour or an hour long conversation at the end. They're like, yeah, okay. So what's the film you're, you're promoting at the moment? Tell the audience about it. Um, so I guess I do have a question that, that for you. So um, A, I want to know, I guess what, what are some of the, let's say two of the projects or activities or, or things that you've done that you are most chuffed about, you're proudest of? And I guess uh, two things that are on the horizon that you would love listeners uh, of the G Word to know that are coming about. Okay, so I think some of the things that we are really excited about that are coming up are, um, one is that we just hired a director of pediatrics. That means we are absolutely on the way to hopefully within the next uh, one to two years um, enrolling. Now I'm, I'm sure, so those under 18. And so I'm sure you can imagine all the sorts of policy and, and legal and ethical implications with, with enrolling pediatric patients, um, participants. And so that's gonna take a bit of time to work through those, but um, we are just, super excited that, you know, we will get there and, you know, and, and to eventually enroll our, our first pediatric participant in the program. So that's, you know, that's something that's really huge for us. The other thing that we are super excited about is um, something that we've been piloting and that we anticipate to um, releasing to our uh, participant partners is um, something we're calling health-related return of results. So, so right now, um, all of us offers ancestral return of results. Um, and you know, that's, that's great. Um, but what we um, will be offering, you know, in the coming months, actually later this year, is health-related return results. So, so these are um, uh, a, a list of uh, genetic, known genetic pathogenic variants that folks will be informed of if, if, if they have such a such a variant or not, as well as a small list of uh, medications that um, participants may have adverse responses to. And so we are 
super excited to um, to offer this to our participants because we, we really feel that this will be a, a really significant piece of return of value to them. And, and that's one of the things we always try to do is to make sure that whatever we are doing, um, we are returning value to our participants and our researchers. Now, uh, you may be wondering what happens if a participant receives um, a report that you know they have one of these potential disease variants. We thought about this also from, a, from an equity and sort of humanistic point of view. And so one of the things that um, we do is, you know, we make clear that these are just research results, but if someone does have one of those pathogenic variants, we do offer um, free of charge a, a clinical genetic test to confirm um, that variant for the, for, the, for the participant. And then we also provide them, again, free of cost, a consultation with a genetic counselor. You know, so we're not just giving them a, a result and then saying, here you go, see ya, good luck. You know, we want to make sure that, you know, we do everything we can um, within the scope of our program to make sure that our participants have um, follow-up resources um, to allow them to, um, you know, to follow up on, on whatever, you know, report um, findings that, that they have, um, that they may have received. So, you know, those are some of the things that are on our horizon that um, we are, um, you know, just extremely um, excited about. And we think, again, we are really going to provide some value to our participants. Amazing. Those are very exciting. But, but before we sign off, I want you to tell me, you told me lots of things you're proud of and lots of things, even if you haven't said you're proud of, you should be proud of because they're amazing. But uh, if I was to push you hard on, on, on one of the bits of work in all of us that you are most proud of, what would it be? Yeah, I, I think it, it would be our commitment to equity, diversity and inclusion and accessibility and how it really infiltrates in the best way possible everything the the program does you know that is a commitment from that starts at the top and so when i when i look at you know all of all of the things we've done from our from what we talked about about the disability definition to our upcoming health related return of results um, to our commitment to enrolling pediatric um, upcoming pediatric participants all of these things are going to serve or will serve or are serving to make the program more, more equitable um, for our participants and our, and our researchers. Um, one of the things we didn't get a chance to talk about was we recently released um, uh, back in March, a uh, hundred thousand whole genome sequences um, into our, in, into our researcher workbench where our, the all of us data is accessed. And in that um, release of, of genomes, of, of 100,000 genomes, um, approximately 50% were from self-identified racial and ethnic um, individuals. And as I'm sure you know, when we're looking at these, you know, GWAS studies and other um, genomic databases, you're lucky if you can hit like four or 5% diversity. Mm -hmm. um, and so we've released something that is 50% um, approximately and so, you know, we really think that has the potential to really push research in ways that will make it equitable for everybody. So again, just bringing it to the top, 
you know, just the commitment to diversity for everything that we do is, I think, the thing that I'd be most proud of. Nice. And I have to say that uh, uh, I, I remember when I saw the uh, the data being released, I thought that was amazing. So I was surprised it hadn't come up in this conversation because I was yes. still very chuffed about that as well. So I'm glad that you got that one in too. Uh, amazing. Thank you. Thank you, Martin, so much for your time and for and for the conversation again. Uh, I'm going to need to find another excuse to have a conversation. Maybe we can do a video next, <laughs> next time. Yes. And then you'll, you'll be bored of having every format of chatting with me. But yeah, thank you so much. Uh, that's all for this episode. Uh, so thank you so much for listening. And thank you for joining us uh, on this journey to uh, highlight the debate and implications of equity and data and genomics as it all comes together um, and hits mainstream healthcare. So you can find out more about the work that Martin and the team does uh, on the All of Us website website and um, their twitter handle is all of us research martin you don't have twitter do you i don't have twitter myself um but no but you're, too, you're too busy doing actual work that's why you don't have twitter. but the program yeah. does have twitter so please follow us on twitter <laughs> good exactly yeah but martin himself will be too busy getting his head down um, and remember you can hear more stories about data diversity and everything between on the mindthegap.health website so that's www.mindthegap.health if you have any views on any of these topics which i really hope you do because a lot of it has been quite thought-provoking and um, or even you have a person in mind you'd like us to speak to then please do write us at podcast at genomic England.co.uk. And like every SoundCloud that must get plugged, remember to subscribe to the GWeb podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Anyway, thank you so much for your support. And until next time, thank you for listening to the GWeb.